Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're talking about race day success and nutritional strategies. Learn what you can put into place to make sure your next big race is your best one ever. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen and uh, we're going to start today uh, as always with a little question to Karen, um, something about running and nutrition and Karen as today uh, the episode is all about uh, race day strategies, I'm going to ask you about um, what your strategies are with regards to what equipment do you use to carry your food and drink um, to races and around races. Yes, yeah, actually, um, Aileen, that, so regarding what equipment I use, regarding sort of, I presume you mean sort of belts and things like that, what, yeah. well, it depends um, what, what length the race is, to be honest. If it was a half marathon and maybe a marathon, um, I would tend to use a belt um, with a zip pouch so that I can pack in a couple of, a couple of bars or flapjacks or, or whatever it may be with also um, some medjool dates. I can get all of that in my zip pouch. Um, but I also like one where I can add, you know, you get the water bottle holder attachments. So I yeah. like them to have the, that, the capacity for the attachment because sometimes I might take one bottle because they're quite small bottles or maybe I would take two bottles. So I like to be able to have that capacity. If I was doing an ultra, then I would tend to use a camelback just because I need so much more fluid um, and also um, carrying capacity for for food, etc. Because I, I I do use the, the the water going going round um, a, a marathon or an ultra route, whatever is available regarding water, but. But electrolytes and things, I like to carry my own. So my, my liquids would probably contain the electrolytes. And I don't like eating any of the food that's provided. I like to carry my own. So I need that capacity for the food and the fluids. So depending, again, on the length of the ultra, I might just carry the camel pack or I might have the camel pack 
and the and the belt on it just depends on on length how about you Aileen what what's your strategy um well I tend to either like you I have um you know a belt with a pouch um and I think with all of these things, you like to use things that are tried and tested and feel comfortable. And uh, sometimes I use a flip belt. I was given the uh, flip belt as a gift uh, one year for my birthday. So I, that's what started me using the flip belt. So that's an alternative to. Oh, that's interesting, Aileen, because I do hear people, I hear about people using flip belts and it's something I've never used. I've seen them in the shops when I've been going in looking for mine, but I don't know that much about them what is it about a flip belt that that you like uh well i think it's comfort really uh the very lightweight the snug so you don't feel as though anything's pulling you down if you like um yeah. i mean they're not the the better for small things that you might carry so it, you know partly it's very light snacks and maybe you know, a key or um a debit card uh, that you you know you might need for paying for things on mm. you know not the race but maybe at the end of the race or if you're out on a training run it's sometimes handy just to have access to um being able to buy something so you know sometimes in the summer if it's a really hot day and I've run out of water you know I might stop somewhere and buy a bottle of water so it's just handy to have um those kind of things easily accessible mm. um, yes but yeah and with regards foodie type things um you know the, the little pockets are very tiny but you can fit them you know like in a day or you know small map so it, it works pretty well yes yeah okay okay so, so let's delve into our topic today uh which is all about race day success but relating that to nutritional strategy strategies so it's um what do we before during and after races to make sure that we're you know, optimizing our nutrition, our performance, our recovery, um, and particularly um, thinking about, you know, the the types of distances, you know, half marathons, marathons, ultra runs. Um, mm. To start with, Karen, could we think about the nutrition leading up to race days? Because I know there's there's a lot of debate and there's a lot of historical um, information about what we should be eating um, for the best approach. Um, I think the pasta party days have sort of long gone, although um, I know some of the big iconic races still uh, run pasta parties as part of their sort of lead into the race. So like the GNR, the Great North Run, they they always have one. I've never actually been to one, um, but they always send tickets in the pack, you know, to come to the pasta mm. party. I know it goes on. Um, so what are your thoughts on nutrition, um, especially the carbohydrate uptake leading up to race day? Yes, and you're absolutely right, Aileen, about the pasta party days. You know, the, the, the science and everything has moved on from that time, but there are still some of the, the big, the, um, the big races that do that. Now, whether that's just part of trying to get everybody together and be part of a big group, um, in a hub, to, to, to support the race and things, I'm not sure because it, it, it has gone. The, the, I, the, the, there's still a need for carbohydrate in the days leading up to, um, a race. There's no doubt about that. And the, the key reason for that is to ensure that you're optimizing muscle, muscle glycogen stores. So that's stored glucose 
and that stored energy that's going to be needed in race day. Um, and this differs from the carbohydrates needed in the hours before the race. So, so in, on the day of the race, you're looking more at the liver glycogen stores, but on those days leading up to race day, you're looking at optimizing the muscle glycogen stores. So, um, and some of our listeners may have heard of this carbohydrate supercompensation. So that's where for several days in the weeks leading up to the race, the, um, the athlete, the runner would eat a high protein fat diet with very little carbohydrates in it at all. Now, this is looking at it in a historical. So more of the, the times, um, of the pasta parties where they would really deplete the um, carbohydrates in so th- maybe the first three days um, of the, of the week leading up to the to the race, and um, an exercise would be sort of tapered at that time. So they might do some exercise on one day at the beginning, and then it'd be very little exercise done for the rest of this week. So they had the 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 low carb high protein fat diet for approximately three days. And then that would then be replaced with three days of really high carbohydrate intake just before in the days just before the race. So, and this was, um, it was shown to, um, give higher rates of muscle glycogen synthesis ready for the, the, the race day. Um, and this, this, you know, was, it was seen as successful. There was a lot of, um, sort of well known runners that used, that did use this protocol, um, successfully. So thinking about the likes of Ron Hill. If anybody can remember him, he was quite a long while ago, but he did use that very successfully in his career. Mm. So that that sounds very much like it would have happened during the sort of pasta party era. Um, What does this approach still happen now, Karen? Well, I think there are there might be some people who do still follow this approach and it may be successful for some people. Maybe um, there are those who still stick to the past the party and go there using that protocol. But there are, it's, it's found, this approach has found, has been found to have some real disadvantages to it. And some of those disadvantages include sort of that hypoglycemia effects during the days when, um, carbohydrate intake is really, really low. So, and especially if they've done sort of a high impact training session at the beginning of that, but not allowed to rep- replenish at all with any carbohydrates or very, very small amounts of carbohydrates. You could, that could lead to hypoglycemia response and also the digestive effects of a really high protein and fat diet. Again, if the body hasn't been trained for that, then potentially there could be acute reactions to it. And also, and also then again, looking at poor recovery from the tapering exercise that was done because of the low carbohydrate phase, phase and possibly an increased risk of injury for some people. And I think as well as the physical here, that it could affect the mind and the mood, especially taking away the running from, from, from the runners. And, and, and what psychological effect does that have? What psychological effect does it have taking away carbohydrates as well? Because remember the brain, its primary energy source is carbohydrate. So, um, and also that you've got to think about energy levels and potential lethargy 
with this with this sort of approach. So quite a few disadvantages that had been that have been um, found to occur from that traditional approach to tapering. Mm, that's really interesting. So what you're saying is that some runners and athletes might still use this traditional race preparation, um, mm-hmm. but probably most people don't use it now. So what's the more up-to-date thinking of uh, nutrition in the lead-up to race day? Yeah, so I think I think you're right, Aileen. I think, yes, a, a few maybe do, but 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 athletes have moved on and the 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 knowledge has moved on therefore what's being what's being projected out to to runners in the form of magazines and online and things have have has moved on and it's really what they're looking at now is a it's a more modified version of that carbohydrate super compensation protocol that we've been speaking about so it's still about manipulating the carbohydrate to optimize um muscle glycogen stores but in a more moderate way to to help sort of prevent the the disadvantage of it or disadvantages or side effects of it so so in the traditional approach, you know, we were speaking about in the first three days, the carbohydrate intake was really low. So it went right down to sort of 25% of that total macronutrient intake. So your macronutrients being your carbohydrates, your fats and your proteins. So the carbohydrates would go right down to 25% of that. Um, and then that would be followed by the, the second um, section so that the, the three the three days after that going back up to 70 percent carbohydrates of that sort of total macronutrient intake so with the modified version the first three days it's that the carbohydrate intake goes down to 50 percent so not nearly as low and then in the second um three days it goes back up to the 70 percent so that part is similar but also what's different is, you know, I was saying earlier in that classic approach, um, one bite of intense exercise was maybe done at the beginning and then maybe another one done sort of three days before the race. But that was it. There was no other exercise in that tapering phase with the more moderate approach. Then they're still exercising in um at each day but that exercise intensity is reduced each day leading up to the leading up to the race so and what they found is that regarding performance there isn't much of a difference between the classic and the more moderate versions but there aren't the side effects that they found that there hasn't been the side effects of the more moderate approach. Therefore, that's the one why that that one has been sort of um, taken on board and utilized more re- in more recent years. Does that make mm. sense, Aileen? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, and I suppose the thing about side effects is they can build up cumulatively, can't they? So, you know, if you're somebody that's doing a lot of races, um, you know, you, you performance may be affected over a longer period of time by these side effects. Absolutely. Into other health concerns. Um, So just to sort of recap, Karen, what's the main reason for optimising the glycogen stores in the days leading up to a race? So in the days, yeah, just to sort of emphasise this, in in the days leading up to the race, 
the reason that we're doing this tapering is to um, optimize muscle glycogen stores. That is the key area. And they found that by reducing carbohydrates somewhat um, uh, in the first three days and then sort of increasing it in that second phase, it really helps support um, optimization of the of the muscle glycogen stores. Um, but, but while still allowing the the athlete to run because you know it's really really difficult to take running away from a runner so by doing this more moderate approach it's also supporting the runner in a psychological way as well as a physical way and i think that is really really important because as we know running is 80% mental 80% psychological and 20% physical so it's really important to ensure that a runner is is his their their mental and emotional health is being optimized as well as the physical health for the for the running mm. and for race day yeah, absolutely. And having that sort of good mindset um, feeling mm. that you can do is, is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. Just wanted to sort of really um, emphasize for everybody that the two um, main storage areas of glycogen are the muscle and the liver and just really honing in and, and recognizing that will just help you get that concept. So the, the pre-race um, optimization is to do with the muscle glycogen and the um in the lead up to the race uh whereas at the you know we're going to talk a little bit more about the uh liver glycogen um later on um mm. but just a, a, another summary because i also think it's good to summarize these concepts as yes. we go along yes. it's just really saying that reducing the carbohydrate intake in the first three days of the week um mm-hmm. it, it's really crucial but it's in it, it's really also beneficial to follow that with the three days increased intake um yeah. so we've really got to be thinking pre-race has got to start a week before the race not just the night yeah, before definitely. probably again you know the old school where where you know people just think about the day before um and the more objective is really to optimize that muscle glycogen mm. Yes, because I think traditionally, you know, we've we've always spoken about that tapering week and people think about tapering as tapering their exercise um, or tapering their running. But that tapering week involves the nutrition as well. It needs to be tapered alongside the 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 exercise. So it's putting the two together. Mm, yeah. And I think it, when you think of tapering, you always think of things reducing. But with this mm. approach, it's more of an adaptation rather than a tapering, isn't it? Yes, yes, mm. it is. It is. That's a good okay. way of putting it. Uh, that's good. So we've established that. So let's yes. look at race day and uh, what the important nutritional strategies should look like. So um, can we think about pre-race, Karen? Um, what would mm-hmm. you be advising runners to consider? Um, yeah, um, so... So before um, before the race on race day, so just to emphasise what you were saying, Aileen, is that in those days leading up, we're looking at muscle glycogen optimization, and on race day, when we're thinking about um, our carbohydrate intake within that pre-race meal, we're looking at the replenishing of the liver glycogen, because it's important to remember that um, the 
following an overnight fast, which we all fast overnight because we're asleep, um, we use up 80% of liver glycogen. And that's because our liver as, is at its most active during the night because it's detoxifying, it's repairing, it's recovering. So it's really, really active. And, and because it's active, it's using energy. So that's why on race day, there is going to be some element of um, muscle glycogen um, storage as well. But that is minimal at this point. It's more about the liver glycogen um, replenishment in those hours leading up to um, to the race. And it's, mm-hmm. it's also just to sort of add in there, Aileen, is that... Um, the pre-race meal, um, the, 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 the ideal time to be having a, your pre-race meal would be between three and five hours before, before the race, just to make sure that digestion and absorption is, is, ha- is happening efficiently before you set out on that long distance, that endurance race. Yeah. So that is that time frame practical for most people, Karen, because that's quite a long time before a race begins. <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right, Aileen. Um, um, and I think that it, again, it depends. It depends on, um, depends on the race, where the race is held, where you live in, in relation to where the start line is. So when you think of some of the big races, say like the London Marathon or even the, the, the Great North Run, um, for, for some people, they've got to travel quite long distances to get to the starting point, whether it be from home or whether it be from a hotel or whatever. So, um, so in those instances, yes, probably three to five hours is practical because they're getting up early. They're going to eat in, in, initially when they get up and then having their shower, whatever it may be, getting ready and then, and then traveling. It may not be quite so practical if, say, you can just jump out of bed and be at the start line. There's very few people that that can happen for. But but it may be that you're in a hotel or or your accommodation is quite close to the start line. So so again, that's that's going to be individual, and it's going to be about um, finding a protocol that suits that person and formulating one that's really going to support the digestive system. So really training the digestive system to accept food and deal with food um, in a short time before a race begins. And, and the, they, they say that the digestive system can be trained to do this. So it would be that would be um, advised, I would say, to sort of reduce the risk of any effects once the race starts. Mm. So, so the, the big message here is that um, the carbohydrate intake pre-race is really important for this liver glycogen replenishment that you require mm. overnight. Um, and ideally, that meal needs to be eaten sort of within three to five hours before the race begins. Um, yeah. So I mean, one thing that um, is crossing my mind is if that's the case, um, you know, usually we're, we're eating our meals in, on a normal basis between, you know, four or five hours apart. So wouldn't mm. the runner be hungry by the time the race starts if that's what they're doing? Um, and are there any practical issues around what they should be eating um, to get to the, the start line fully sort of satisfied? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. Um, you're absolutely right if you're eating three to five hours, especially if you've got a quick 
uh, a quick metabolism. Some people metabolize the food so much quicker than others. These could potentially be the people who are able to eat shortly before a, a race, actually. So met me metabolism does need to be taken into account. Um, but for most of us, even after three to five hours, then potentially you're going to feel hungry. So, so, um, the answer to that is that, yes, by the time you get to sort of maybe the race ground, you're going to start to feel hungry. So important to eat something within that hour before the race. So what I would say is sort of eating within that hour to 30 minutes beforehand, maybe thinking about introducing um, a quick release carbohydrate food at this point. Um, so, for example, maybe um, a spoonful of honey, if you're able to take that with you, or um, a, a gel, if that's what people use, or the dates, raisins, banana, something like that would be really beneficial at that point. But then that last 30 minutes before the race, I would say try to avoid eating anything and just having water at that point so that the body still has a little bit of digestion absorption time before the race begins. And, and also what I would like to add here is that for some people, you know, having this quick release snack in that hour before the race can lead to um, a spike in, in glucose and insulin as the running begins, which can lead to a rapid fall in blood glucose just as you start to run. Now, this has been a recognized phenomenon that's been named as sort of rebound hypoglycemia or reactive or transient hypoglycemia to give it its different names. And what they found is that Although this, although this can happen in some people, it tends to last for about maybe 20 minutes and then disappears. Um, and they found that it doesn't actually affect performance, which is a good thing. Clearly, you, ideally, you don't want to be experiencing that. But for some people, it can happen. So um, just to be aware of it. Mm. So that's really interesting that you say it doesn't occur in everyone, um, mm -hmm. but it might be the people who are sugar sensitive uh, anyway. Um, yeah. So how would they know if they were reacting in this way so people could identify some symptoms? Yeah, interesting question, Aileen. And clearly that is going to be... Um, it's going to be different for different people. Everybody reacts differently, but maybe it's sort of a couple of the, the common symptoms is, is sort of that lightheadedness as they just sort of start off um, running and then that kind of settles and also maybe feeling jittery. So slightly shaky as they start off, but then as they settle into the run, insulin levels drop, glucose levels stabilize, then that tends to to disappear. So maybe for for these individuals, what might be helpful is just to have a small amount of pr protein at the same time as, as they're having their quick release carbohydrate, just to kind of slow the process, the digestive pro and absorption process ever so slightly. So, um, and I know that it, it can happen. I have experienced it in the past myself. And Aileen, I was just wondering, is this something you've ever experienced? Yeah, definitely. I have. And I'm really, I'm really identifying with everything you're saying here, Karen. Um, right. I mean, on a normal day to day basis, I'm, I do have a sort of a hyperglycemic, 
um, issue that I'm, I manage. Um, so, you know, when it's a race day, I think that kind of thing can become more pronounced. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, and what, what happens with me is that I think it, it sort of then becomes a cumulative effect throughout the race, particularly if I'm having the quick release. Um, snacks and products during the race to help with me, you know, my energy and my performance. But mm. by the time I get to the end of the race, it, it um, you know, catches up with me. So uh, I like mm. your suggestion about maybe adding some protein in. Um, and the things that I'm thinking that I will do or I'll try to do is because um, I use my dual dates um, because I find them easy, um, easy to digest and they give me good um good amount of glucose but maybe you know in preparation I could maybe put a little bit of nut butter inside the date so that I'm Mm. getting some protein there um or the other sort of more commercial products that I could try are the Huma gels because they've got some chia in so that would give me some protein and also the naked bars so I don't know when anybody's ever eaten those so normally I, I wouldn't choose an egg bar because they are quite high in glucose so for an everyday snack that wouldn't work for me but there are usually some nuts in so Mm -hmm. to have maybe a quarter of a naked bar would be quite a good quick release snack for me so I wouldn't need a whole one I don't think before a race but a smaller Mm -hmm. amount would be good so yeah it'll be uh, I'm going to press that out this summer and see for me. Yeah, yes. And like you say, so a quarter of a bar, a, a bar or a half a bar, Aileen, and then you could take the other mm. half with you. So, so, cause you might find it more helpful during the race even. And then I know that the digestive system does change during a race. So, and digestion and absorption does become more tricky towards the end of a race uh, because of that mm-hmm. stress response. But for you, I would, I would really recommend that you trial it during, during training, clearly. Um, mm. but maybe sort of thinking about the, the, the combination during your running as well to see if it sort of supports you at the end of your, at the, the mm. end of your training. Mm. Um, but you might find that it's, it's maybe helpful before you race or run, but maybe during it, you still need that pure, just, um, uh, quick release carbohydrate and then when you finished going back to that combination I'm not sure I think it's something that would be important to practice with yeah absolutely yeah, yeah so, so going back to the original question um can we focus a little bit on some practical issues about eating and getting to the start line and what should people be thinking about to um, to meet all those requirements Yes, absolutely. So I think that preparation clearly is key in knowing how you're going to carry your food for the the race, especially if you don't have your support team. And support team, for me, tends to be family. So I, quite often, if they're coming along, they're armed with all the food and the drink and things that I need. But clearly, if you don't have that, and quite often I don't have that either, they don't want to come, um, then it's about being prepared and knowing how much you're going to need to carry. Therefore, what sort of, going back to your original question, Aileen, when we set out, you know, what sort of equipment do you need to take with you? So that's really important. Um, um, but to, to sort of overcome some of, of the issues about sort of food and how much to carry and types of food, etc., I think, um, prep and prepping the meal the night before. So getting up in the morning and 
thinking about what you want to eat on race day is just not where you want to be because your mind is on other things. So just thinking about what what is it you're going to eat for that pre-race meal and how much of it can you prep the night before so that you so that you feel organized um and then just ensuring that you do have a belt or a rucksack to carry your food, whichever is is most suitable for you. And again, practicing with these because rucksacks can sometimes rub. Belts can be cumbersome, like you were saying, Aileen. Um, so it's really about um, practicing with that during your training. Also checking with the organizers regarding left luggage. What are the facilities? facilities, what is available there. So can you carry things with you that you can then leave in left luggage and then you've got your food available for the end of end of the race. Um, and then um, you may want to consider regarding sort of quantities. We're speaking about uh, sort of having the large meal three to five hours beforehand, depending on what that is. It may be more helpful for people to have half of that meal at home or in the hotel and then carrying half of that with them and having the other half as they're traveling and then still having that quick release carbohydrate within that hour um, um, before they start they start running. Um, so, Aileen, you're, those are a few practical solutions, but you are the guru of practical ideas. So do you have any other tips that you could give our, our listeners here? Well, I, I think it's all about planning, as you said, Karen. So, you know, it's almost like creating a timed plan backwards. So, you know, if you know roughly what your estimated start time, when you're going to cross the start line and then plan backwards, to know what timings you're going to eat everything. So when are you going to have the pre-race meals and snacks? You know, and, and obviously we've talked about the week leading up to it. So, you know, include that in your plan too. And then, like you said, it's all about being super organized. Get as much as you can do done the day before and get it ready to eat, pack it, um, make it practical, particularly the things that you're carrying to the race for those um you know, pre-race snacks, the things that you're going to eat during the race and also having things after the race, make sure that they're not going to spoil. You know, we've, we've all had experiences where we've not wrapped things properly or mm-hmm. we've tried something that's broken up and just caused us angst. <laughs> you just don't yes. need that. So you, you do need to practice. You do need to know that your super idea, it will work in, in reality. So, you know, it's tried and tested. Uh, and also I think, just think about what might go wrong on the day. So often travel timings are thrown out. You might arrive at the start of a race and, you know, things just don't go exactly to plan. Um, you know, so, you know, I think it's just simple things like having your, you know, if you've, if you've got something in your rucksack that you need to take with you to the start of the race, that it's at the top of your rucksack so that you don't have to spend too much time getting it out. It's just all little simple things that you just have to think through the whole scenario and Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you're prepared for anything and nothing throws you on the day. Because as you say, you know, you do not need any extra stressors. You're going to be probably excited anyway. um, And that stressor in itself. So you don't want to be panicking um, because you can't find the special snack that you prepared because it's at the bottom of your rucksack and the bus is about to go and all this sort of thing yeah, yeah. So, um, absolutely. so yeah it's like getting into that head 
headspace, visualizing what's going to happen and doing all the planning. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've talked about the pre-race uh, in quite a lot of detail. Um, we've talked about eating a hearty, carbohydrate-rich breakfast and then um, a carbohydrate snack, a quick release snack within an hour of the start of the race. Um, be mindful of those glycemic effects if, if you think the reactive hypoglycemia might be something that affects you. Um, think about the practical elements that we've talked about um, being pre- prepared in advance. Um, so that takes us up to, you know, during the race. So what should we be considering during the race, Karen? Mm. So what I would say firstly is that it's really important to practice the eating habits in training, um, the pre, the during and the post, but especially the during, because you don't want to have um, any sort of disastrous effects during the race. So, tr- so practice, practice, practice is what is my motto. And um, because um, if you if you try new foods on the day, then it's it's potentially going to lead to a digestive reaction, and and that could sort of really scupper your your plans for a um, for a PB or whatever it may be. So just bear that in mind. Um, what what I would also say is if a person tends to eat or drink what's provided by the organisers, then I would really advise them to contact them, the organisers, ahead of the, the, the race and find out what is going to be available. So, again, you can practice that in training. And um, and and just to bear in mind that it what is provided isn't always the most natural or, or products. So, just bear that in mind as well. And my other big piece of advice would be to um, start eating early in the race. M- many, many people wait until they start to feel hungry or they're starting to uh, find that their energy is dipping, but it's too late at that point. Um, if you if you wait too long, then you're never really going to be able to eat sufficient amounts to replenish the glycogen stores sufficiently. So starting to eat early on and sort of the advised timing is sort of within four to five minutes of starting the event, sort of introducing some food at that point and then having some sort of every 45 minutes to an hour thereafter until the end of the race. And if you if you if you follow that protocol, then you're kind of doing the best you can to try and support the glycogen stores, um, keeping those replete and keeping your your blood glucose levels topped up as well. So those that would be my key advice there regarding during yeah. the race. Thanks, Karen. That's there some really practical suggestions. Um, so can we move on to thinking about what we should be eating during the race and um, and also how much? Yes. Yeah, so um, yeah. So I'm always having conversations with my clients about their food choices, sort of 
you know, as you know, being nutritional therapists, dealing, we're always thinking about the most natural sources of, of food to support our clients um, and their goals, whether it be linked to, to sport or not. So, um, so that it's really important here to, to be looking at choosing as natural as possible to support your running performance. Um, and I think we may have speaking, spoken about some of the, the, the foods to think about um, on a, on a pre previous episode. So things that I would recommend would include the medjool dates that we've spoken about already, Aileen, and, and being your favourites. And it's one of my favourites as well, because they're so easy to eat, easy to carry, um, is easy to transport around as well. And, um, and you can buy them already de-stoned. Um, and they're, and they're really high in natural sugars. So one medjool date is thought to have around 18 grams of, of, um, of natural sugar in it. So it's really high considering how small they are. It's a high amount of, of carbohydrates. So. So that's one of the foods that, that I would really consider. Um, homemade flapjacks, and that's something else I tend to carry with me, especially if I'm doing um, an ultra. And again, when making them, I add extra honey or maple syrup just for that sweetness, for that quick release um, carbohydrate um, element of it. And again, they, they're easy to carry if you're carrying a camel camelback if i'm just using a belt i don't tend to use them because they can kind of crumble a little bit and just be, maybe get a bit messy but certainly in a rucksack they're really easy to carry so that's something else i would i would consider um and, and also recommend to others and ella's kitchens pouches you know if you don't have the time to make your own products then then ella's kitchen pouches are really good you get the mango pineapple I think there's a peach or a nectarine one as well. So they're high. I think it's banana, actually. They might have a banana one. Um, and again, high in quick-release carbohydrates. And they're in a pouch form that it's a screw top. So again, really good for carrying because a lot of gels, they're the rip tops. And then if you don't have it all, you're left with all this goo and mess. Whereas with Ella's Kitchens, they've got the, they've got the screw tops. So, um, so, so, so I think they're a good product. Um, and, and, and I do recommend some other natural commercial products as well to, to my clients if they're not open, because some people just aren't open to, to, to doing the, the, the homemade stuff. So you mentioned earlier about the Huma gels alien, and that is something that I would recommend. Um, and also Honey Stinger and Velo, Forte. They are good products. Honey Stinger, Think you can only get online Vela Forte. You might be able to find that at some specialised um, cycling shops, um, and definitely you can you can get it um, online. How about you, Aileen? What would you what would you would be your recommendations? Um, well, I think you've pretty much covered all of my favourites here, Karen. Um, yeah. we, uh, what I would say is if you're if you're somebody that isn't keen on sweet um, foods. The Ella's Kitchen um, range also have a sweet potato uh, one. Mm. You want something that's more of a savoury taste. And I think we always forget that carbohydrates, there are savoury versions of carbohydrates too. Yeah. You know, really if you're somebody that's doing, you know, a, a marathon or an ultra, maybe you will not just want sweet stuff for that length of time. So I think that would be good. And you can make savoury flapjacks too, which is um, – I, I really like a savoury flapjack, so you know that's another mm -hmm. option if um, if you're wanting 
you know, different types of carbohydrates. Um, yeah. yeah, really good advice there. Yeah, and as you said, Karen, we have talked quite a lot about some of these um, products um, in our previous episode, and it was the energy bars and gels and powders episode, and we, we talked about commercial products and homemade products there. So, again, if anybody wants to listen a little bit more detail, that, that they'll find that information there. So, so we've, uh, we've covered the during the race. Um, and now let's talk about post race. So, um, you know, we've, we've done everything right. We've had a, a good run up to the race. We've had a good pre race breakfast. We've eaten correctly during the race. Um, now that we're coming over the finish line, what should we be doing to maintain strength and most, you know, most importantly, recovery, um, after the race? Yes, absolutely. Well, I think the best thing that um, a runner can do to support recovery and sort of help prevent that delayed onset muscle soreness is to eat straight away. So within that 30 minutes of um, finishing the race, having something to eat, again, looking at it from um, a quick release carbohydrate point of view. Now, some people might gasp at the thought of this because they find it so difficult to eat straight away. And I find that with with several of my clients um, and that's why again sort of I spoke earlier about the practice 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 and training and I think it's really key to to do that to help encourage the digestive system to adapt to receiving food at strategic times um, pre during and post but this 30 minute post does time does seem to be tricky for for a lot of people so practicing it I think would be really important and again just a reminder that it is the quick release carbohydrate food that you want to be choosing here so thinking about some of the ones that we've we've just mentioned alien or maybe maybe something like a banana would be appropriate here yeah so you know if, if you're practicing it it's like again thinking what is your you know what are you going to eat as soon as you step through the front door so knowing that that's available I think is key and um yeah. you know what you're really saying Karen is that if you train the digestive system you can adapt to receiving food and um, then that will be easier to do uh, when you're uh, finishing a race um mm. but what about you know you've talked about the immediately after a race and, and what about you know the hours following on from that is there a recommended nutritional strategy to follow yes there is absolutely um sort of and especially for these endurance races sort of from uh, the the half marathons and then um definitely with marathons and and ultras um you're sort of looking at eating every two hours sort of up to about six hours afterwards and then from there depending right enough on on what you're your or when your next training session is but if you've got the time to recover from the race and most people take take some rest time after that after a big race like that so so um you'd be looking at after six hours you can then go back to sort of your normal everyday healthy healthy approach to eating but between the two and six hours like i say eating every two hours is is recommended but eating, this is where you want to be introducing the protein as well. So still having carbohydrates, but alongside some protein, but in a four to one ratio with that four, four, uh, four parts carbohydrate to one part of protein. And this is to 
encourage the muscle protein synthesis at this point, also the muscle repair and recovery, whilst also continuing to replenish the, the, the glycogen stores, because it's going to take some time to, to replenish those stores. And also, um, sort of that co-ingestion of, of protein and carbohydrate is, is, has been found in research to enhance that muscle protein synthesis compared to just having protein on its own. Cause we tend to, to think about muscle protein synthesis being linked to just protein. But, but research has found that that combination is, is, is more beneficial. It makes it more efficient. And they think that that's linked to the effects of insulin. So, so insulin is thought to what they say have a permissive role in the muscle pro- protein synthesis. But as long as protein is there, so that, that elevated amino acid, um, availability needs to be there to support that muscle protein synthesis alongside the, the insulin from carbohydrates. But the insulin is also, they find that definitively it plays a role in reducing muscle protein breakdown, independent of whatever um, amino acids are available. So, um, so, so, um, it, it will. So, so, so what I'm saying there is that the carbohydrate take intake that you're taking outside of the protein intake is going to help prevent muscle protein breakdown. But by adding the protein, you're going to support that muscle protein synthesis. Does that make sense? Amy? It does. It does. And again, you know, mm-hmm. about the planning aspect, you know, if you're at the end of the road and you've got a bit of traveling to go home, having that, you know, plan of what you're snacks are every two hours after the race yes. really important to you know so whether it's you know mm. taking you know maybe a sandwich with some protein in it or probably mm. even a, a shake and a flask that kind of thing probably would be really helpful yeah. um and just really you know plan how you're going to, to do that so i think we're, yeah. we've all picked up some really great strategies that everybody's going to be able to utilize in their next big race um and um, as always karen can you finish up by taking us through some key takeaways of which i think there's going to be a few today yes yes absolutely so some some that i would suggest are that um just remembering that tapering of exercise and nutrition is really important in that week leading up to a race and that it's about tapering for for um both. So so like you said earlier, Aileen, it's about tapering the the uh, exercise in the traditional sense in that the, that you're reducing it as you get closer to the race. Um uh, whereas with the with the new with the nutrition it's more about periodizing it leading up to the race. So you, you're you're reducing it the carbohydrate intake but then you're increasing it again before it leading up to the days. So and and leading on from that, just sort of thinking about reducing the carbohydrate intake to fifty percent of total macronutrient intake for the first three days, then increasing that to seventy percent for the last three days. And that's thought to be the optimal for supporting performance on race day. And um, just remember to try and have a substantial pre-race meal, ideally in those three to five hours before you start the race, then having a quick release carbohydrate snack within the hour before they blow the whistle and you take off. Um, 
think about the products you're choosing and try and choose as natural as possible to fuel your run. And, and, and thinking about training the digestive system during your, during your training to receive a food immediately following the race. I can't stress that enough because I do think that first 30 minute window after a race is really key. Um, and just remembering to take regular protein and carbohydrate combined meals and snacks every two hours up to six hours post race. And again, that's just sort of to enhance that glycogen repletion whilst also supporting muscle protein synthesis, muscle recovery, and also reducing the risk of the, the DOMS, that delayed onset muscle, muscle um, soreness, which for a lot of people tends to happen sort of some the day after, but then for others, the day after that is when it really hits. So just sort of thinking about your nutrition immediately afterwards and for the rest of the day following a race may help reduce certainly some of the some of the pain some of the symptoms of doms so just a few things like you say Aileen to consider we could go on and on but I think I'll stop there yeah that's that's great Karen thank you as always and remember everybody don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance well this brings us to the end of another episode of she runs eats performs brought to you by runners health hub helping female runners to be fitter faster and stronger We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.